0: Good morning, friends. Have you ever been discouraged? Now, some of you probably maybe chuckled when you heard that, because if you've been locked down, if you've been quarantined for uh, six weeks, going on seven weeks already, perhaps you are a little bit discouraged or disappointed, or who knows, maybe even despairing a little bit. I want to talk about that this morning. I'm going to take you back to an Old Testament book that I'm sure that you've all read many times over. That is the book of Haggai. Now, let me read the first nine verses of chapter 2. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now, take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, son of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus the Lord of hosts... For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, when you read that, you get the idea that the people might have been a little bit discouraged. Now, our text suggests several reasons for that discouragement, most of which revolve around the problem of a bad memory. They were guilty both of dwelling on the negative and forgetting the positive altogether. And memory can be a blessing or it can be a curse. For those Jews, it had become a burden that hindered their progress. And again, I'd ask you, how about you? Have you been discouraged in this pandemic and these lockdowns, these rollouts? Well, let me start here. You know, some people have a good memory of the wrong things. In verse 3, it said, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Well, the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. and Haggai prophesied in 520 B.C. That's 66 years later. And certainly there might have been a few people over 75 who remembered the splendor of Solomon's temple and mourned what they had lost. And when they spoke, they recalled the glory of the old days and remarked how puny this new temple seemed by comparison. It hardly seemed like a temple at all. I mean, where is the gold and silver from Solomon's temple? It embarrassed them to see such a shabby structure erected where once the old temple had been. Perhaps it just was not worth the effort. Maybe it would be better to simply live with the happy memories of the good old days. That's what I write. That's what I said before, friends. Memory is a wonderful thing, if you remember the right things. And for the Jews of Haggai's day, it was a curse because they not only remembered the past, that's where they lived. Second of all, discouragement also comes from a bad memory of the right things. Again, verse 5, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. See, the Jews had completely forgotten what God had done for them at the Red Sea. And somehow that amazing miracle seemed like a distant memory. They'd forgotten how they were trapped by the Egyptian army behind them and the Red Sea before them. Moses struck the water, the sea parted, and they walked through on dry land. When the Egyptians followed them, the seas came together and swallowed Pharaoh's entire army. Now, why did God remind them of this stupendous miracle? Is because he is the same God today that he was back then. He still works miracles today. Or Look at the end of verse 5. My spirit remains strong among you, do not fear. Just think for a moment of the implications of that statement. The Holy Spirit is still here. Don't look back to the past. Don't worry about who isn't there. Focus on who is here. The Holy Spirit of God. He abides with his people forever. Therefore, be encouraged. Keep moving forward. Don't be intimidated by what's going on around us. God has promised to stay with us forever. His spirit is the fulfillment of that unbreakable promise. We must keep on keeping on, for the spirit remains with us. Now, third discouragement also comes from playing the comparison game. Verse 3, does it not seem to you as nothing? See, the old people remembered the glory of the ancient temple and they cried when they saw how puny this new temple was. And I think the same thing happens to us when we ever play the comparison game. We compare our children and our spouses. We compare what we used to have with what we have now. We remember the past as better than it really was so that the present seems worse than it really is. See, the comparison game is foolish and dangerous because only God can make a proper comparison. I'm reminded of that story about Peter and Jesus conversing in John 21. You probably remember that story. Three times Jesus asked, do you love me? And three times Peter answered, yes. And three times Jesus told him to feed the flock of God. But then Peter saw John following them and said, well, Jesus, what about him? Meaning, where does he fit into your plans? To which Jesus said in John 21, verse 22, if I want him to remain alive until I return what is that to you? You see, friends, God is not obligated to treat us exactly the same way he treats anyone else, or is he required to treat us today exactly as he did yesterday? Because God is God, and let me remind you, we are not. He has the absolute right to do what he pleases. If you think about that, it renders all comparisons useless and counterproductive. Now, fourth, Discouragement is living in the past, it's downgrading the present and forgetting the future. This is the inevitable result, because you live in the past, you look down on the present, and you forget about God's promises for the future. In this case, it meant missing God's promise to bring even greater glory to the rebuilt temple than it ever had during Solomon's days. Spiritual disappointment drains all of your energy because we focus toward the past instead of moving confidently in the future. You're probably saying, well, man, this is a pretty discouraging message so far. Well, what is the cure for this discouragement? What's the cure for this disappointment? Well, our text suggests four specific texts we need to take to free ourselves. And the first step is the hardest. It's the most basic. In some ways, it's the most important. And step one is let go. I mean, how often this lesson comes up in the spiritual life? We're never going to grow until we learn to let go of the past. In this case, the Jews had to let go of their fond memories of Solomon's temple. Until they did that, they would never make spiritual progress. For you, it means letting go of some of the painful memory from the past or the painful memory of today that keeps you from moving on ahead. It may mean choosing to forgive, even though the other person will not admit they did anything wrong. It will often mean deliberately choosing to let go of some dream you held on to for many years but no matter what it is whether good or bad if it is holding you back you have to let it go step 2 look up now to look up means to get a new view of who God is did you notice that Haggai used one particular name for God 6 times in these 9 verses it is the name translated as the Lord Almighty And if you look closely at the text, you will discover the word Lord is capitalized because it refers to the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is God's personal name. The word Almighty translates the Hebrew word Sabaoth, which means the armies of heaven and earth. Now, in the King James Version, it's translated as the Lord of hosts, meaning he who is sovereign over all the powers of earth and heaven. It's an extremely strong name for God. I mean, you might even call it a military name because it means that he is the God who is greater than all the forces of heaven and earth. So, friends, when the Lord Almighty goes out to do battle on your behalf, you are going to win because he's never lost a battle yet. Let me take you back to 1 Samuel 17, it's the story of David and Goliath. And when David stood in the valley of Elah <clears throat> facing Goliath, what name of God do you think he used? Well, listen to this. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of what? Here it comes. The Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital letters, will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Capital L O R D saves for the battle is L O R D's and He will give all of you into our hands. So friends, when your God is big, the task is small. David's God was so big that Goliath did not seem big to him. The Jews of Haggai's day had a small god. So a small god, so the task of rebuilding the temple seemed overwhelming. In the same way, your view of God radically affects the way you've been approaching life lately. I mean, take a good look at the God you worship. Is he big enough to handle your problems? If not, you need to look up and get a new view of God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. And step number three is to look ahead. I mean, God only sends his people forward. He never sends them back to the past. He never lets them stay in one place too long. Boy, I'm kind of a witness to that. Uh, I mean, the people of Haggai's day had romanticized the past. they completely forgotten about the future. And what was the future? Well, in verses 6 to 9, Haggai makes three specific promises about the future. Uh, promise number one is a time of international shaking is coming upon the world. And it's interesting that Hebrews 12 quotes Haggai 2, and it applies it to the second coming of Jesus. At Haggai's time... His voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now the words, once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that's created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. The meaning is this, he shook the earth when he gave Moses the law. But Haggai said there's a day coming when he's going to shake the earth again, but the, the next time he will shake the heavens as well. The day is coming when all the world will be shaken by God, a shaking greater than any earthquake. And in that great final day, everything man-made will be gone. Only eternal things will remain. And what will be left? Well, only those things which cannot be shaken. Eternal things. The things of the Spirit, the Word of God, your soul. Hebrews twelve twenty-eight sums it up when it says, the kingdom that cannot be shaken. So, friends, do, you, do don't pin your hopes on the world system it's going down <laughs> it's going down for good it won't last it's going to crumble and fall the whole world and everything in it and if you live your life for this world for this day in that day everything you live for will be nothing but dust now promise number 2 was the desired of all nations shall come and for many centuries jews and christian commentators have agreed this refers to the messiah in fact christians understand this is the one of the many titles of christ he is the desired of every nation. Now how is it that Jesus can be called the desired of all nations when so many don't believe in him? Well, there's a couple of reasons. His coming was expected by the nations. His salvation is needed by all people. He's admired in every nation because he has followers in every nation. He's desired by all who see him as he is. And he will be prized by all in the end. And he's the light of the Gentiles, the salvation of the earth. And all kings one day will bow before him. Thus he is and will ever be the desired of all nations. And then there's promise number three. The latter glory will be greater than the former glory. Now, how can that be? Is this only wishful thinking? After all, Solomon's temple was so vast and magnificent, and this temple seemed so small and insignificant. Well, for hundreds of years, this prophecy would seem impossible. But the day would come when Jesus himself would walk through the temple precincts in Jerusalem. He was the greater glory that God promised to the people of Haggai's day. And here's step four. Get up and get moving for God. I mean, too many of us sit on our blessed assurances, stewing in our juices, when the Lord says, get up, my child, do the work I've called you to do. That is what the Lord said to the Jews. Three times in verse 4, he says, Be strong. Rise up. Do the work of God. Be strong in the face of difficulty. Do the work of God. Don't let anything stop you. Be strong. Work. You know, sometimes the best therapy is simply getting out of your seat of despair and tackling a job in front of you. I mean, God is only asking you to take the next step. And in taking that, that step, he'll give you the strength to take the next one. So many people live in defeat because they cannot climb the steep mountain before them. But friends, just remember this. You do not have to climb the mountain. You just have to take the next step with God. He'll take care of the rest. And know this as well, friends. Doubt is not a sin unless it drives you away from God. The same is true for disappointment and discouragement. We are all disappointed. We're all discouraged from time to time. But that need not be a sin unless we let it take us away from the Lord. Now, it may be that I'm speaking to some pretty discouraged and disappointed people these days who wonder why God has allowed certain things to happen, this whole pandemic and everything. I mean, perhaps the events of this day have shaken you deeply, but whatever you do, don't turn away from God. I mean, how will things get better if you, if you despair or you reject the only fountain of hope? Let God speak to you and pray for ears to hear his voice clearly. This applies especially to sinners who don't know Jesus. I mean, your disappointment may be God's appointment to bring you to the cross for forgiveness and salvation. I mean, just as the Lord said, my spirit remains among you. I'm here to tell you that God's spirit is here today calling all of us to salvation. He's the one who leads us to repentance and faith and gives us new life. So if you feel helpless and hopeless, well, congratulations, because God specializes in saving those kinds of people. He lifts the fallen and encourages those who turn to him. So my word of admonition to you today is run to the cross. Lay hold of Jesus. Rest your troubled soul on him. Seek the Lord while he may be found, God's word says. Yield to him while the spirit calls your heart. Open that door of your heart and Jesus himself will come in. So, friends, may God grant you faith to believe in Jesus and give you everlasting peace and hope through his spirit who remains among us this very day. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.